Here's Johnny! I'll be back. And you will know my name is the Lord! I'm walking here! I'm walking here! I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Ladies and gentlemen, to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, and moxie. I'm your host, Cody. Joining me are my co-host, Mike. Say hello, Mike. I would, but the disembodied hands of Dario Argento are currently strangling me. Say hello, Jamie. Uh, I don't really talk about this on the podcast a lot, but I was terribly mocked as a child for also having three mothers. Uh, well, it happens. It happens. <laughs> and uh, folks, I know I say this every episode, but this is an actual special treat of an episode because we have with us tonight people with actual talent and have contributed in some way to life. Joining us tonight, we have the Roller Disco Massacre. Guys, please uh, go ahead and introduce yourselves. Uh, I'm John. Uh, this is Abe. And I'm Tristan, the editor. Uh, Christian, the one of the producers. All right, I think we've got the works now. We've got four of you joining us tonight. Holy cow. This is fantastic. It's so great to have you guys here. Uh, for everyone at home, we're probably going to be jumping into a lot of spoilers for the movie The Night Sitter. That movie is on Amazon Prime right now. If you have a Prime membership, you can just watch it. No extra rental fee. Do yourself a favor. Go check that out. Watch it and then return and listen to the episode. Or if you don't care about spoilers, keep on listening. Your life, do what you want. I don't care. <laughs> anyways. We didn't know it was on Amazon Prime for free. That's like, that's pretty crazy. Like, oh, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where's our shit? It's cult. It's on Amazon Prime. <laughs> that was my first question. What is the business association with Amazon? How do you get paid out of that? We literally have zero <laughs> clue. <laughs> <laughs> you can put you in contact with someone else who knows. <laughs> I was just joking about that. I didn't expect to get into money. But uh, as long as we're getting into the Night Sitter right away, could you guys kind of walk us through the history of that project? Because it's kind of a unique funding goal. It was it was a Kickstarter project, right? Uh, in yeah. part. Yeah, it was. Uh, we kind of just tried to make uh, this movie as as cheaply and affordably as possible. But uh, yeah, we, we filmed it over at my parents' house in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and that's kind of how we got the idea, essentially, that, you know, we wanted to make a movie that was contained and affordable. And it was, uh, fortunately, my parents' house was big enough for us to sleep, the house and crew. Or I'm sorry, the house uh, was able to sleep the, the crew and yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean the the Kickstarter was actually that sum of money was just for the uh, gore effects. Yeah, really? gotcha. Okay, yeah, it was it was mostly gore effects, but also for like I think crafty and like there was a couple of other yeah, there was like a but, couple other things we spent that. But that was uh, it was a good chunk. But yeah, we definitely needed that money just to make it uh, just a sweeter experience for everyone. And so how do stretch goals work with a Kickstarter? Like if you make past 10%, you get like an extra throat slit? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what it was. We we gave people some props. Uh, yeah, like, a couple people got props or like a couple people got like drawings from uh, Kevin's notebook, one of the characters. Oh, that's awesome. Or yeah. like the masks from the witches. Yeah, we had some extras. I mean, we had like two or three copies of all of the masks of the witches. So we were able to uh, not only give our actors who played the witches a mask, but also I think at least two Kickstarter uh, funders, yeah, got, got masks. Nice. That's a display item for life. <laughs> well, I don't know. How long does that like latex and stuff kind of last? Doesn't that <laughs> fall apart after uh, a few years? Actually, we were pretty fortunate and we needed 
to be on a budget, so we used Etsy for the most part. Oh. Um, some really cool artists uh, that, yeah, made that. Actually, like, I think all three of the masks were different designers from Etsy. Etsy right. Yeah. So, oh, neat. Pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's the wonders of the internet. <laughs> Absolutely. So when did you guys uh, first start really conceptualizing the project? Because I imagine this is a fairly long road if you have to go through Kickstarter, raise funds. You've got to film the darn thing. You've got to go out, get it distributed, probably hit the festival circuits to get circus circuit to get people interested in it. This seems like it's got to be a couple years of your life dedicated to one project. I mean, yeah, 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 absolutely. It was, yeah. yeah, it was at least a couple of years for all of us. But I think Abe and I spent at least like three years, probably, just trying to. I mean, it was almost a, a yeah. year just getting the script in order before we even shot it, and it kept on changing. Yeah, the script I would say we wrote in late 2015. Um, so, yeah, by the time the movie actually got released, it was last August, August 2019. Yeah, you know, so like. <laughs> That was probably like four years from script to that. Yeah. Wow. I don't, I don't think people appreciate how long it takes indie filmmakers to really get all this stuff pulled together. You know, we're kind of spoiled by just seeing like a big blockbuster get a sequel every two years and working like clockwork. Yeah, absolutely. It takes a lot of time. And I think you asked about how it got conceptualized. I mean, we decided as a team that at this point, you know, we needed to make a, a feature length. And if we wanted to be able to afford, you know, how could we afford to do that? So we kind of backed into the fact that we didn't have any money or we had a limited amount of money and structured the story and the script around basically our free location, which was, as John said, his parents' place in Tennessee. So, And that's actually what we've done on all of our short films that we worked on. You know, Tristan edited all of those. And that's kind of always what we've done. We've found a location that we can use. And yeah, I mean, for us, I mean, at least in LA, like it's just so hard to get a location for. I mean, that's pretty much our whole budget for almost any of our projects. <laughs> so we, it's just like it was pretty much impossible to shoot a feature and a house that we rented on the budget that we had for the night sitter. We had to shoot it, uh, you know, in a free location. So yeah, we could, we would like honestly, I don't even think we'd be able to come up with like yeah, that, that'd be really hard to come up with <laughs> a, a movie. And yeah, I don't know. We'll have to... Yeah, yeah. That sounds like that must have been such a surreal overlap between your your past and your present. Like, here's the place where you grew up in, and here's all of these adult actors and crew, and all these remnants of like the life you've made for yourself. Oh yeah, I, I get to spread blood all over the kitchen. Exactly. Yeah, like my favorite. I mean, it'll probably be the fa- my favorite thing I've done. I mean, Kevin's room was my bedroom. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff that I. It's just all nostalgia for me. So, <laughs> yeah, every single like frame of that movie, it just reminds me of something else on top of the movie. So yeah, for me, it's just a completely separate experience than I think anyone else. But I feel like everyone. <laughs> when I watch the movie. I think about your childhood. Yeah. <laughs> I spent my experience with some others. Yeah. So when you guys were getting together and picking a movie to make, Jamie and I said the same thing to each other the first time we started looking at your, your short films. I'm amazed they didn't just start with Just Say No as a feature length. That one just feels like it could be 90 <laughs> yeah. minutes long, no problem. Uh, yeah, we actually wrote a script for that, a feature length script, like years ago. And we're before trying, the next one. Oh, well, oh, yeah. well yeah. before yeah. the next one. That was our like, plan. That like was our plan. <laughs> yeah, in like 2012, and we were going to make that. Um, and then basically... It, it was too expensive to put together for a while, and then I think we just kind of naturally moved on from the premise and started working on something else. And you know, it 
it always ends up that you work on a few different things and then eventually something pops and yeah. you wind up doing it. Um, and at this point, <laughs> I don't know. I feel like we're kind of just like, I mean, we'd love to do that type of movie. Well, even we have though to rewrite it. Again, oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a completely different rewrite. And then also there's just been a few movies that have similar content. I don't know if we actually came up with it the first, yeah. but you know, it, it's just, it's kind of been done before now. So we'd have to figure out, a couple of new and someone angles. advised us that we wouldn't be able to use the title "Just Say No." Which, like, right? <laughs> oh, it's already out there. You're uh, me nuts because I was like, without the title, I don't even want to make this. Movie. <laughs> I respect that. Samuel Jackson in uh, "Snakes on a Plane." Without that, he walked. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Plus, I mean, if you tried to make that movie now, pot's legalized in a ton of spaces. You'd have to find a harder drug. This guy would have to be like selling crack. Just make it a because <laughs> it is it is a period piece actually even. Yeah, yeah, it's in the '90s. Yeah, so the short is in the '90s. So you know, it'll always be a you know drug dealer glory. But no matter what the era, there will always be piece of shit drug dealers and girlfriends who deserve better. (laughs) (laughs) As a tale as old as time. Jimmy, I feel like you're writing a good tagline for something right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So to to get more into the the story a little bit. I kind of loved how the the story starts off with, I would say, a little bit of subterfuge as to what kind of genre of horror film we're going to get. Because we start off with a babysitter, so you think, okay, it could be something like House of the Devil. Then we move past that, we find out Amber's kind of got ulterior motives and she might be up to rob the place. So you think, oh, maybe it's something like Don't Breathe, where it's going to be, you know, the the villain has the tables turned on him. Then we get the introduction of, like, uh, the dad who wants to be, like, a, a TV host for paranormal mystery kind of stuff and you think okay maybe it's like the cleansing hour and it, it hits you with several different roads the film could go down before it doubles back and says no it's actually going to be witches assaulting this house more of kind of like a dog soldier thing but in one location which i kind of love just playing that guessing game of okay what film is this going to be <laughs> surprise <laughs> yeah well uh yeah i mean that's kind of you know what we were certainly hoping for um you know uh, you kind of want to set up these different plot threads so people aren't just sitting there bored waiting for someone to die. <laughs> and yeah, we hope that that is not the case with the Night Sitter. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much you know when everybody dies. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I really appreciated, like speaking about that, was how even in the quiet moments in this movie, because it's, it's such a slow burn, I love how all of the character beats are so on point that really you could watch this movie as a straight comedy without uh, any supernatural elements coming yeah. in later. Yeah, yeah, really. You can thank Abe for that. That's that's his witty dialogue. Oh, thank you. But he's absolutely right. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, no. It, I do think we got lucky with the actors and, you know, they all kind of really liked their roles, really liked each other, and, you know, we were all shooting in such a small space that they're really good working as a team. Uh, and I think you see that chemistry in a lot of their little beats together. Uh, oh, definitely. Yeah. And especially like, you know, in the beginning, I love the whole kind of back and forth with Amber and uh, and Ted. Uh, yeah, Joe Walls and Felice uh, Dufour. Yeah, they're both really great in that scene. And I think they give you enough to look at that, you know, you're kind of willing to just walk through the house with them. Yeah, that opening scene with Amber and Ted just sells you on the entire movie. That is such a great uh, tone establishment moment. Oh, nice. I mean, I'm really, truly very glad you guys liked it, because that is some of the stuff that, you know, uh, we're really proud of in the movie. 
Yeah, I, I really like how, regardless of the of the screen time and how seriously you're meant to take each of the characters, each of them definitely has like their own amount of humanity that makes so much of the action and the gore feel so much uh, so much heavier. And that's that's I feel like that's kind of rare in a lot of horror comedies since they usually just want you laughing at the blood and guts, and that's easiest when you don't give a shit about anybody. I'm really curious, like, was that balance between the gore and the heartfelt moments? Uh, was that something you guys set out to do, or was that just something that just came when writing the dialogue and the script? Um, I know that we initially, we we naturally go towards comedy in the end, but I know that initially our ideas are always more serious, I would say. <laughs> so, well, our violence, yeah, our violence yeah. is serious. Yeah. <laughs> I think we just kind of like to shoot scenes of people being funny and you know, that, you know, in a lot of these horror movies, you've got scenes in between the scenes where people die and you can either have a whole bunch of people moping around and being boring, or you can have them kind of cutting it up. And I don't know. I just think it's funny. And I also left some room for improv, especially on the comedy. I mean, there's a couple of moments definitely that just happened naturally on set, which was, was nice. No, no, it was all, it was all in, that, and, in my yeah. dream. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, are you kind of the directors who are like annoyed when a cast member goes off script or are you pretty excited for the opportunity for them to kind of flesh these oh, things out on the fly? No, we're thrilled. <clears throat> As the editor of the film, I would say that I'm not always thrilled. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like on set, you're thrilled because they've done the same. Yeah, uh, we love variation. Or, yeah, we're, I mean... we're so bored of the dialogue that's in the script by the time we like especially by the time we edit it, we've heard every single line hundreds of times. And so to have other options, uh, you know, it's great. Plus they're doing your work for you. you know? Yeah. Uh, one thing I love, if we can go back to the violence for a second, a lot of low budget films simply can't afford to show gore throughout the entire thing. So you have characters who, you know, die off screen, they disappear. Then you find their body later on. This film, what, we get a, a slit throat, there's a scalping, there's multiple stabbings, crushed heads, a bullet to the throat, broken wrists, a disemboweling. Uh, we've got witches, blood spurts. It's I all up it. on the screen. Yeah, we like, we got the works here. Yeah. I, I've never heard it all just I started making bullet points the second time I watched the movie. Like, oh, shit, okay, there's another broken arm. Yeah, well, we have always loved to just absolutely wreck people who are in the movies. So, yeah, they... Uh, it was important to us to have like very violent gore just because we feel like that's something that we respect in horror movies. Um, if, you know, if it's not, it doesn't seem totally gratuitous, like, you know, cause that's really scary watching somebody that you like die horribly. Like, I don't know. There is an impact there. Plus, I mean, it really makes <laughs> the production value seem so much higher when you actually get to see all the blood go like, Oh man, they're not just paying uh, yeah. for actors. Well, I mean, that was effects going. That's a very comment. Oh, for yeah. sure. I mean, yeah. Practical effects are the reason why, I mean, I mean, at least of, I like horror movies, at least. That's a lot of those I, movies where they cut away, it's because they shot the effect and it looked terrible. Yeah, something happened. <laughs> like well, they just have to, like, cut around it and no one will notice it's fine. Unless it's, like, a super clever horror movie that can somehow rely on no yeah. gore at all. But it's pretty rare. Yeah, if we were clever pretty enough rare, to yeah. not have gore. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> also, we don't want to leave it up to their imagination. Like, this is how violent it is. We will shoot. We will show you how violent it is. Yeah. And I mean, also, we wanted to work with uh, a very experienced effects artist. So that's how we got Ben Rittenhouse, which is, you know, he, he's the one that made all of those effects with 
yeah, I mean, it was just uh, without him, it would not have happened at least visually the way that we have wanted to because he, he cut some corners uh, budgetary like wise in order to make sure that we were able to get all of those effects on that list because we had several conversations where it could have, uh, you know, it could have gone one way or the other unless we had, um, you know, hit the help of a bunch of, I mean, we, we can explain, but essentially he has a, a school in Nashville that uh, he had started and we were able to use all of, his students essentially for free. Oh, wow. so, <laughs> not for free, for experience. For experience. There we go. Yeah. Exposure. Yeah. Like a major Hollywood set. Yeah. yeah. So it like, <laughs> would not have been able to happen without that kind of miraculously coming to be. I mean, he was like a, you know, he was a Hollywood effects artist that actually moved to uh, Tennessee, like, I think like the year prior to us shooting. So it, it literally worked out perfectly where we uh, didn't have to pay an effects artist to, you know, live there with us for a month in Hauser. And yeah, it's, it's just, you know, all of this worked out perfectly for our budget. And we love the end results. So we are so happy to have them there. Yeah. It's, it's gorgeous stuff. Um, I mean, as long as we're talking about this, could you guys give us a little more detail? I'm, I'm so fascinated by the scalping in this movie. That seems like Same. a huge pain in the ass to pull off. <laughs> can we get any sort of technical background on how that was accomplished or would we need Ben here to, to really explain that properly? Uh, the scalping was honestly probably. I so wish Ben was easier. here. It yeah. was the easier. One, it was the easiest yeah. and the cheapest probably effect besides the knife and the, through the mouth. Uh, really? Which, yeah. That both of those were like we just put some ultra slime and like I mean I wish Ben or someone was here from the actual effects department, but it's uh, it was a pretty easy gig. I mean they they just put I think gelatin on like a wig and <laughs> kind of covered it in blood and then. You know, luckily we had an amazing sound art or designer. His name is Matt Schwartz. And I mean, he really helped sell that that effect as well as, you know, what it looked like uh, falling on the ground. I, I don't want to ruin anything in the movie. But yes, the scalping was definitely a pretty, pretty juicy spot in our movie. Yeah. So when you guys were doing all this, did you have to rely on like CGI blood in any places? Or was it really just actual squibs and everything else, like real practical effects for the entirety of the shot? All squibs. Do we have we have some CGI we, blood splatters somewhere? It, there we, was some. I mean, there are no gonna, CGI blood splatters. Yeah, we're just gonna uh, <laughs> put that on the box. If I can't tell, they don't exist. Yeah, uh, but yeah, no, there are a couple peppered throughout to, to accentuate existing yeah, blood. But everything but that's like I would say no more than three or four. I would maybe even three. and it's yeah, like anything that you're thinking of as like uh, a money gore effect in the movie is practical. Is practical. Guaranteed. Man, that's awesome. That's got to be, I imagine, nerve-wracking, too, just because, like, the cleanup after one of those, if they go wrong, like, you only get so many shots at it. Wait, hold on, Christian, talk yeah. about the cleanup. Yeah, first. yeah, I mean, luckily we had interns that came from Europe, actually, and that's what they helped Europe. with. Yeah. So, yeah, the kids from, uh, what, what, they were from a school, they I They were forgot. from a school in yeah. Britain, yeah. Our, our gaffer, was it? Our gaffer yeah. was our teacher. He got, he hooked us up with some students from, uh, from Europe that wanted to be in the, in the, or help out in the film, so they came out, and that's it was what they like an out. internship, pretty yeah. much. But yeah, I mean, every night, you you know, it was whenever we had the big, uh, <laughs> the big sort of uh, deaths that you know, that's that's what and mostly uh, what we did, just clean up and stuff like that. Yeah, and they were happy to do it. They were like, <laughs> they were like, oh my god, like look at this blood, like should we clean it up? <laughs> or, like, yeah. No, don't touch it. So like, for continuity reasons, no, leave it forever. Let's go. The, the gin scene in particular was pretty was a highlight oh that was oh, yeah. yeah 
that was yeah, so the, the, that was the messiest for sure. We had to like get a ladder to get up right. To it. it just got too high up on the ceilings. So. <laughs> but we're no strangers to cleanup. I mean, on just say no, we had to rip the carpet out of an entire house. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, the God. entire house carpet. I think there was like a half inch of blood yeah. from wall to wall in the garage. Yeah where one of the epic scenes was in that too so in elevator too we made such a mess in that elevator that we actually got like a warning from that building yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it fell asleep cleaning up blood on the set of just you know, yeah. in the garage while everyone else was doing it i did oh no i mean he, he cleaned too but yeah. yeah we we were all we were all running on 40 hours yeah that was always my favorite part about like old school horror movies from the 80s how they do special features and have to brag about how many gallons of blood they used I don't know why, but that always sold me like, oh, Evil Dead 2 used 100 gallons of blood. It's amazing. Oh, that's what we tried to do with Just Say No, but we didn't have 100 gallons. I, mean, we, <laughs> I think we had like maybe 20, and uh, all of it went on the garage floor, and yeah. it was like the worst. If you stepped in it, your shoe would get stuck. And <laughs> it, it, it was all like corn syrup. Yeah, right. <laughs> ripping off the tiles in the bathroom in our short film. It was like yeah. really bad. That was that was that was like <laughs> one of yeah that was one of the craziest experiences. And it was at our producer's house. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the, he, yeah yeah he got reamed for sure his roommates were not happy <laughs> uh all right well as much as i love talking about fake blood uh let's let's move on to what i'm sure you probably are tired of talking about because every interview has to bring it up but just the use of colors in the movie because i mean it's it's pretty clear you're going for something in the vein of suspiria with the bright reds and the greens and all that kind of stuff oh, but absolutely. you're not really doing a Suspiria story here. It's like you've reskinned a different kind of film and put the the, the the Suspiria aesthetic over top of it. And I thought that was really fascinating. Well, we definitely appreciate that. I mean, it's, sorry, that's... that's <laughs> the dog did not like the question. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> Straight from the record. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, essentially, uh, I mean, it was... Lemon. <laughs> He's colorblind. This is all taunting him. <laughs> I know. I know. Hold on. Give me just one second, guys. Yeah, no problem. Uh, yeah, the, that's basically exactly what we're trying to do with the movie. It's, you know, Suspiria is great. It's very much a, uh, you know, it's a masterpiece, but it's something that you can't really duplicate. You can't go into a movie and say, oh, we're going to make Suspiria. Like, it, it doesn't work like that, you know? So there I don't was know some... how the hell the people that made Suspiria made Suspiria. I don't think they could do it twice if they tried. Yeah, exactly. Oh, absolutely. You know, they just woke up from a fever dream. After <laughs> Like, oh, this is it. We did it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, pretty much Argento is chasing the dragon the rest of his career. I still love all of his movies, by the way. But yeah, yeah. that was his most visually stunning movie, you know, period. And well, potentially in the whole Giallo slash Italian yeah. horror spectrum, which is, you know, that is like a huge reference for us. But yeah. And, but, and you know, the movie itself, in terms of like tone and sensibility, was kind of more inspired by like idle hands and that kind of yeah like, yeah like an yeah. era of kind of like 90s, teens, yeah. yeah 90s teen stoner horror type it's a pretty specific subgenre and also yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also christmas was pretty oh, yeah. huge just because we were able to uh, exaggerate on so many moments in the movie and be like you know oh we want honestly and there's a couple of parts that are like you know uh there's this red hallway or stairwell in our house um, that we were able to like accentuate and just make it look even more red. And I think we even like painted one of the walls or yeah. the, the hallways to the 
Ted's office and made that red as well. Well, that's what visionary directors do is they see red and they say, can we make it more <laughs> red? <laughs> can we actually increase the red? And everyone's see Guillermo del Toro's Hellboy movies, just more red everywhere. Uh, yeah, but we, you know, we love playing with the, the bright colors, the saturated colors and, uh, you know, the house that we shot in is such a nice kind of like backdrop for it. Um, and, you know, it's just a really fun way to like make, you know, even a nice house is, you know, it's just, it's a house. There's something mundane about it. And so, you know, it was just a great way to kind of bring a little bit of magic and a little bit of, uh, just that visual appeal into it. Yeah. It'd be a lot of brown and gray. <laughs> beige walls honestly yeah. there'd be, be some, some people would maybe be falling <laughs> yeah yeah that is one thing that drives me a little crazy you're watching horror movies or you know whatever kind of film and they they feel like they have to hew so close to reality that they make the film bland in some ways and i, I love explosive uses of color in film so anytime someone is going to be daring and make a hallway bright neon green i'm, I'm there for it and that would also be our cinematographer uh scotty field i wish that he was here to talk on his you know own behalf on his own behalf i think it's better actually that we speak on it <laughs> <laughs> he'd, he'd work that look he's he's uh, a genius he's the hardest working guy in the room. and uh yeah he put in a ton of time making all of those rooms and all those setups look great and our colorist doug potts doug, yeah doug. Doug. We never have actually. I still don't I've know if I've met. Doug. I don't know if I've, I've met, met him in person. Yeah, yeah, but he's great. We assure you that Doug is a great guy as well, <laughs> and that he does exist. Yeah, <laughs> he's real. <laughs> so you touched on uh, the Christmas setting just a second. A lot of your shorts were also Christmas themed. Yeah. Why? Well, you, you, I, I'm sure you get sick of hearing answering that, but uh, I, I think on your Kickstarter page you mentioned it's not necessarily for the thematics, but a lot of the look. Is, is that what you're going for? You just love the look of Christmas, or John has an unnatural obsession with Christmas. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much what it is. He has a Christmas tree still in his living room up right now, lit and, <laughs> and everything. But he did take it down. I did it, take it, it down to replace down. it with it a did, new one. It had been up for about six years. Yeah, wow. Was, yeah. But that that does help because it provides us with like you know practical colored lights everywhere. Also, it's like the most magical time of the year, so why not kill a whole bunch of people? <laughs> is is there like a list of hollowed horror uh, Christmas classics you have to go through every year? Like you have to watch oh, Christmas or it's not Christmas? Uh, Black Christmas and Silent Night, Deadly Night are probably some of my favorite. Like those might honestly be in my top ten movies of all time. Um, just because they're – I just grew up watching so many Christmas horror movies. But, yeah, I have lists of Christmas horror movies that uh, – I could give you. Um, <laughs> I'm working on them right now. I was always partial to the uh, Tales from the Crypt uh, Killer Santa episode. Oh, that one, that one's classic that Christmas. Episode? That was like, it was definitely in the first season, but that is like awesome. I think you're right. I think it's first. Yeah. It's one of the best episodes, like period. It's so good. And it's like hilarious too. It definitely set the tone for, I think, the, the rest of that series. So good. Um, I would recommend Dial Code Santa Claus. We actually Dude. watched the. Uh, oh, we love Dial Code Santa yeah. Claus. I had never seen. I we saw or I saw a trailer of it at Tarantino's theater uh, like a couple of years ago, and I was like, "What the hell is this movie?" And finally, Peter <laughs> Syndrome put it out, so I, I finally was able to watch it. But that was seriously one of the best uh, Christmas horror movies I feel like I've seen in, in years. So. 
I love how that movie was just gone for years. Then Vinegar Syndrome puts it out on like a 4K. So now it went from being nowhere to you can watch it in the highest definition. The highest de- I know it's insane. But I honestly, I was like, as long as you guys, uh, you know, keep on releasing this type of garbage, I'm, I'm going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah, I love all of their stuff, honestly. I'm a huge yeah. Syndrome fan. I can't stop myself a lot of times like, oh, Tammy and the T-Rex? Sure. Okay, take my $40. Yeah, I, yeah, that one's so good. I haven't, I didn't get the 4K because at the time I was rebelling and I was like, I'm not going to get 4K, but now I'm, I'm just falling into the 4K collection and it's, uh, uh, it's a deep hole. Yeah, <laughs> it's awful. I, I bought Gremlins for like the ninth time. I don't need to do this. I know that's the worst part. It's like literally you're buying like the same fucking thing over and over and over again. Uh, just but don't. Yeah, uh, but you guys like, should hang out. Yeah, <laughs> Rocco, he does Christmas and buying the same DVD ten times. That's what he does. It's now four K, Blu-ray. Yeah. Well, here's the thing: you get Code Red or Scorpion movies or all these other Vinegar Syndrome movies as well. All of them like they don't have a streaming platform, so it's like this is really the only way you can watch them is by actually buying them so some of them pop up on shutter uh a lot of them will be on like uh joe bob's last drive-in and they'll stick around for a few months and then vanish randomly but every once in a while like a shooting star they'll pop up on shutter for a couple of months i uh don't have shutter and i really do wish i paid the five dollars a month but i've just been so cheap (laughs) (laughs) instead of doing that he pays twenty dollars each it's it's true though <laughs> uh so totally switching gears here i was i was so fixated on this when the movie ended and you you jump into um uh i believe it's i'm not sure if it's tobacco or black moth super rainbow i was getting backwards uh one of the characters is wearing a black moth super rainbow shirt even in your shorts there's multiple tobacco songs oh yeah are, are you actually thomas yeah. feck posing as several people <laughs> God, I or is he your cousin? Like, how does this work? How did you like? How did you get the tobacco hookup? Uh, he is literally my favorite artist of all time. Uh, yeah, and I think all of us yeah, have he's... a true love for that guy and his all of his bands and aliases. Yeah, his music is like very meaningful, like aesthetically, to kind of like what we just kind of like what inspires us and what makes us feel creative and think of you know cool scenes for movies and stuff like that. It's just. You know, his music kind of like speaks our language, and you know, as often as possible, we try to get his music when we can, when it's available to us. Um, met him a couple of times. You've met him more times than I. Oh yeah, but I mean, yeah, yeah. And, like without, yeah, I mean, without his help, the movie would definitely sound different. And yeah. I'm not like definitely Rob Heimbaugh, our composer, is the one responsible for the sound of our movie, but. I mean, we just, we had to have certain songs from yeah. Tobacco that just like carried on from all of our shorts. Yeah. We were just like, we have to, we have to keep the tradition going. Yeah. So, how many more stuff doesn't have his music? It's so distinct and uh, it just gives everything so much energy. Honestly, it's, it's so amazing sometimes when you like, we've heard it sometimes, like I've heard a track or something on the radio or like, I think there was like Silicon a Valley. car commercial. Silicon yeah, Silicon Valley. Valley used it. There's a couple of, um, yeah, it's pretty a big. weird horror movie that used one of his songs, Detention. Detention, yeah. Oh, shit. I haven't thought about that in years. Yeah, I think it was Super Gum or something. Yeah. And I was like, what? Oh, my God. That's such an awesome fucking. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, I, I still like the movie. I think I bought that movie specifically <laughs> for that scene and just to support tobacco. But yeah. 
<laughs> did you guys feel like you had missed out when he released a track called Babysitter like last year? Like, oh, God damn it. If only that was three years ago. Uh, absolutely. Long story short, we were supposed to direct that video. Or the music video with the yeah. Falcor puppet? Yes, unfortunately. And yeah. But uh, we had a different, uh, ours would have been a different concept. Yes. But yeah, we were hired by him and the label to do it, but then with COVID, we couldn't travel. But that was like seriously, yeah, that was uh, yeah. kind of one of the biggest bummers ever. But hopefully, we'll get to make uh, <laughs> hopefully we'll get to make another music video. Yeah. Uh, just because, yeah, he, he literally is like such an inspiration for our team. So we yeah, that would have been amazing. Yeah. Oh, well, absolutely. But you know, I I think uh, his next album will probably kick even more ass than this this current one. Oh my so, God, the most cur- the yeah. current album though was oh, amazing. It, Hot, wet, and sassy. Yeah, it's probably his best thing that he's. Yeah. Anyone listening, forget about the night sitter. Just yeah, go just by. Listen. <laughs> <laughs> just you can you can stream the night sitter for free. Tobacco, go buy that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You can stream tobacco for free as well. <laughs> Spotify. Yeah, and Bing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Give him that sweet half of a penny. Yeah, yeah. he's worth it. Man, I I. Um, I still got Dimensional Home stuck in the back of my head. It's been that way for like a week now. So thank you. Uh, that's, yeah, that's one of our, I mean, yeah, that's literally one of our favorite songs. I just can't believe that he allowed us, or his, him and actually Ghostly International, uh, Christian and I were dealing with them for a little while, but they allowed us to use those songs, or a couple of songs from their label, because some of it's split between Rad Colt, which is Tobacco's company, mm-hmm. and some of his later stuff is actually on Ghostly International now. Yeah, I suppose the Alice is probably making it more difficult because they might be on different labels. Uh, this film has, what, like two songs from Black Moth Super Rainbow, Rainbow and three from Tobacco or something like that? You might actually, I'd have to look at the credits because I, I just haven't watched the movie in a little while. But yes, I, I think that there's at least two, maybe three or four Tobacco songs. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and some of them are like literally like, you know, 15 seconds like a garage door is open right yeah (laughs) (laughs) what that's not fair use yeah i mean we were uh able to use it Um, (laughs) (laughs) how fair it was yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh jumping all over the place here uh let's go back to some of the scripting ideas so i was really interested that you started amber off as a, a a thief so in terms of motivation for a character, you've got someone that the audience isn't necessarily going to align with because they're doing something they might view as immoral. And that gives you a lot of dramatic play, I'd imagine. But then you also have the risk of the audience not liking that character because they're a thief. Was that like a contentious point for you guys when you're writing it? Or did you think that gave you enough freedom to do what you wanted to do? We always like writing characters that are not really despicable, but, you know... They're not uh, extremely redeemable characters. Uh, they, yeah. uh, they're just more fun. I, I just feel like they're less predictable as well. And uh, yeah, and I think, I, I don't know, I think that the audience is less uh, moral. You know, I, I don't know. I think that's kind of almost like a, a story, you know, theory type of thing. Like, oh, you know, the audience has this moral code and the characters have to live up to it. Like when you meet Anne. Oh, I agree, yeah. I mean, you know, she's kind of like, are you really that upset that she's going to steal from this, like, creepy guy? Like, you know. Eh, not particularly, no. Jeffrey Combs over here? Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> she, like yeah. just, you know, the still mo- going to like her better? Like, just look at them. The most likable <laughs> characters are probably Kevin and Vincent, I think, and, 
in our yeah we, we don't really i mean yeah in terms of like moral yes. higher ground or whatever absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. um yeah but you know, i think you know i think the audience is on amber's side you know i mean with filmmaking if you you know if you keep showing the audience a character and then what the character is looking at and then the character again you're just kind of like with them you know you just you're seeing everything from their perspective and you align yourself with them naturally I think casting also is really important. I feel like uh, yeah. uh, Elise kind of brought that uh, sort of personality where you, know, yes. you can you can sort of get on her side. Screen presence, yeah. yeah. And you just kind of, yeah, I think you connect with her just watching her behave in a scene. Yeah, Elise DeFour has so much charisma that she brings to this role. It, it I kind of feel like the character could do just about anything and the audience would still be on her side. Just from her little, like, looks to the camera the way she carries herself there's something immediately very endearing about her very sincere about the performance yes uh, yeah i uh, i agree i mean i think she turned into a great performance uh you know she kind of you know has to be she has to interact with everybody you know so she has to have a dynamic with every other character um and you know so she kind of really carries you through the movie because all the other characters are like lunatics um, <laughs> The one person, She's the one grounded. Yeah, you know. Much. Yeah. Well, but you, you get so much wiggle room. I feel with the morality of that character by the simple fact that you don't have her be a dick to the kids. Anytime I watch the night sitter with somebody, they always assume, just from the character's introduction, that Amber is like going to bully the kids or like be a horrible babysitter, and she's going to have to like learn to protect them. Whenever they see that um, that Amber immediately levels with them and gets down on their level and treats them with more respect than any of the adults do, that, I feel like that's when people, like anyone I've watched it with, has really gotten hooked on the movie and want to follow that through to that character through to wherever they go. It's really interesting. I never heard that before. Yeah, you know what's funny is I think that uh, is a testament to her performance because in the script it was probably a little more snarky that you would that you would think she was kind of talking down to the kids and, and being kind of a jerk. Um, but I think, you know, her kind of not wanting to play, you know, maybe obvious overblown comedic stuff, you know, she's just trying to kind of play a little more natural and kind of use her charisma and everything. You kind of probably feel like it's a little more likable. The same thing kind of happens with Vincent. He was written as being super creepy. Yeah, like super weird. Creepy. Yeah. And then when Ben Barlow showed up, we just kind of like when oh, we ended uh, up casting him immediately. We yeah, we changed the character to kind of to yeah. kind of suit what he was like because you know. And we saw some creepy guys. Yeah, but we were like, it's <laughs> probably not the vibe. It was cooler in the script, yeah. and now we have an actual Vincent. That, you know. Yeah. He is. Vincent. It was. It was pretty cool. That was like one of our favorite. Yeah, little casting miracles that Christian actually helped. It. Christian, you want to explain how vast our... Yeah, so we kind of did a, a, a sort of very wide casting uh, pool in L.A. and uh, Atlanta as well. Uh, and most of the most of the talent came from Atlanta. Uh, or the South. Or the South, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we got really interesting submissions. And I think the, the <laughs> sort of the, the people we got, you know, the dynamic they had was pretty, pretty great. We did get some very interesting submissions, yes. <laughs> Uh, I imagine just a line of extras from The Walking Dead just showed up, like, hey, what are you guys doing over here? Oh, I mean, we, well, we wish. <laughs> yeah, at that point, I don't think she was with The Walking Dead, but we had, like, a... We had a 
Oh, oh no, no, it was during the shoot. I thought it was on the reshoot. Yeah, it was during the reshoot. Okay, re. Yeah, we had a very small reshoot, and then she had like gotten cast in The Walking Dead, and we were like, "Oh, holy shit, this is amazing!" But uh, yeah, still doesn't really helped our movie yet. But hopefully, <laughs> one day. Also, also, uh, Kevin, who's Jack Champion, he's in. Uh, I always, we always just try to pimp this out. Yeah, we but, always try to. Yeah, he's in the Avatar. Yeah. He's, he's in the next three kid. Avatar movies. Yeah, he plays. Whoa, awesome. Uh, Sam Worthington's kid, I think, in the Avatar series. Well, he's the only oh, kid. Holy human, shit. Yeah, yeah, the only human yeah, kid. Yeah, he's on the non painted face. So yeah, he's like non. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, whatever. An Avatar. Guy. And yeah, the other Avatar, kid is Avatar. waking up at like 5 a.m. and going to the motion capture. John doesn't like that. <laughs> so that kid has royalties for the rest of his life to look forward to. Oh yeah. Wait, did you say he was in? Oh, and he was yeah. in uh, Avengers. He was in Avengers yeah. Endgame. Yeah. Oh, he turns to camera on a bike. He's like yeah. a kid on bike. Like kid on bike. Oh, I might know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is this like when Ant Man's walking around his neighborhood? Yeah, it's at the very beginning. Yeah, he's like, "What the hell happened?" or something, and then like Jack Champion just like looks and stares. Yeah. At you. And they had this <laughs> line, but on set they were like, "All we need is the look." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. and it was yeah. pretty awesome. You know? Yeah, he's a great actor. Oh, that man. line was Ant Man. Isn't your family dead? <laughs> yeah. Really, well, Mark? He doesn't know. Uh, uh, but I-, I feel like Vincent is in many ways kind of the the breakout character of this film like whenever we saw it that was the character we kept returning to in our conversations because you're right I you could so easily see that character being just the one note creepy nerd joke that that's uh kind of become old hat at this point like between uh the little touches you guys gave to that character and to Barlow's performance like I, I hate that he dies. I want to see like, like an entire trilogy of Vincent Witch Hunter. I've, I've seen another him way. A series uh, of him explaining monsters and then immediately dying. <laughs> yeah. It's a YouTube He's short. All the information, but he just does not know how to implement it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's uh, certainly a character that a lot of people pick out, um, which I think, again, really speaks to Ben's performance. You know, Ben is, uh, I believe that's the first and last movie he's done. I mean, it he's is. Only, yeah. He's a stand-up comedian. Um, so yeah, we just got him. Yeah. yeah, so he just has that ability to kind of like hold your attention and talk, and uh, you know he's got really great timing. Uh, and I I disagree. I thought it was a joy to kill him. And one of my favorite <laughs> things about uh, the movie is that you you know you're set up to hate Martin because you're like, oh, Martin's such a bitch. Such a shit. Run. Yeah, I hate this guy. Yeah. And you love Vincent, and then they go down to the basement together, and it's you know one of them is clearly going to die, and you hope that everyone in the audience is like, well, obviously it's going to be Martin, yeah. <laughs> you know? and then for Martin to bitch out again and Vincent to die, it's like I, mean, I don't want to die. Goes on the back here. Come on. Come on. I mean, Vincent's also like the only real hero in the movie, right? He's oh, the only one sure. who really wants to save the day and not and stick his neck out on the line and all that. Yeah. Yeah. No, he believes the kid. He's He would be like the hero in any other movie. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, we didn't want to, we wanted to set up the idea that this long forgotten character could be a hero and kill him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he is definitely one of our favorite characters just from beginning to end. Like, yeah. yeah. I just want to see a spinoff of him and Nick Frost's character from Attack the Block, just as monster hunters. Oh my god. <laughs> just chilling and smoking weed. Oh, that's weird. Get us in touch with Nick Frost's people, we'll make it happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
Man, going going off of characters you couldn't wait to kill. Uh, did you have any issues when you're setting this up where you're like, okay, we're gonna have a kid strung up by his legs and then we're gonna slit his throat on screen? Like, I imagine you're not dealing with a review board in the same way where you have to worry about getting like an NC-17. But was there any point where someone told you like, maybe don't kill the kid on screen? Oh, that was a goal of ours. We had a few things. That we I'm always like, excited when I see a kid die on screen, so I'm glad. I applauded. Well, we were just like, we have to like just do this because we'd never really done it before. We we hadn't really worked with kids, so yeah. we, we wanted to cross that off the list. Uh, we also worked with a dog. Yeah. Um, well, it's especially though with kids, it's, yeah. it's nice to have the kids in the movie and then, you know, for us, it's a kind of like feather in our cap that we killed the kid first. Like, the first person to die is the kid, you know? Oh, for uh, sure. And, uh, yeah. It's just how it had to be. Yeah, and that was great. And, you know... I think he killed the dog and then the kid, so it's like, oh, man. Yeah. We got the two big targets no one wants to see killed first. <laughs> when we uh, hung uh, Ronnie upside... Bailey Campbell, the actor, hilarious little kid. When we hung him upside down to, like, do the stunt, he was loving it. Oh, he was having the time of his life. I, I, honestly, the stunt coordinator we wish was more... more violence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah we... <laughs> We, yeah, we just wish we had more than like I think it was like twenty seconds or something yeah. that we could have him suspended upside down. The stunt coordinator, so we had to like pretty much take breaks every. I want to say it was like twenty seconds. It was something crazy. Oh, so man. we we got what we needed at the end of the day, but that was actually a little bit more difficult coordinating uh, the upside down throat slit that we were. We thought that we had more time on set, but we that we were going to. Yeah, story of our lives. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why they always say don't work with kids because you have to reset every 20 seconds so they don't black out. Yeah. Yeah. That's Pretty actually a, a, we yeah. did that same thing on, did somebody call Rhonda? And that's actually kind of like a human. I mean, with Gerald, it could be like 45 seconds or something. Cause we hung yeah. a, a full size grown man. Yeah. Like, <laughs> all other ceiling. yeah. From a different ceiling. A different <laughs> yeah. Movie. And uh, yeah, he couldn't be he up upside there down for a while. I think it was like down. maybe he was upside down for a while. Yeah. yeah, it was probably not safe. He was like, complaining. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was complaining. Yeah. And he was a grown man. So yeah. he's never been the same. <laughs> yeah, not, not everybody's Doug Jones. I assume you can just hang him upside down indefinitely. Uh, God, I just imagine Doug Jones is always upside down. Like they go to get that guy, and he's already wearing a different fish costume, and they have to strip him out of that one. Get him right side up, put him into the Abe Sapien costume, and then turn him upside down again. You know, uh, I met Doug Jones. Uh, he's starring in a movie that I wrote called The Knocking. That's ah. uh, it's like getting Michael Berryman in your movie. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's great. He he signed on to the movie. One of the main reasons he signed on to it was because we he was being hired to just be Doug Jones. Like, you know, he's not in a costume. He's not wearing makeup, and he, you know, really like loved the idea of getting to actually like act in a whole bunch of stuff destroying yeah. skin yeah, yeah. <laughs> for years i think he's like a little bit he's doing it on a star trek show right now. yeah he's on uh, discovery he's he's one of the aliens i mean he's head to toe in makeup in that too yeah and you know he's uh yeah but he, he's a really cool guy i just yeah, love he's like you can always tell us doug jones because he has the most distinct hand acting i've ever seen in my life it's amazing <laughs> yeah he's doing it it's a, same, a shame he doesn't do more out of makeup work. I know his like three scene cameo in uh, John Dies at the End is the most memorable thing about that movie easily. <laughs> yeah, he's got a, he has a very expressive face. He's a very interesting actor. Ah, Doug Jones, so dreamy. Actually, I love Doug Jones. Anything he's in is like an automatic buy for me. So now I got to check out your new thing, anyways. Aha, he's got you, Cody. He's, I'm ensnared. He got me with the Doug Jones trap. <laughs> 
So to, to kind of go back to the start of the conversation, we, we skipped past this. Why witches? What was the attraction to witches that you guys wanted to use those as the monster? Well, witches were kind of, uh, they're a nice middle ground between like supernatural and practical, I feel like, because they have a human form and I think you can still have them kind of like viscerally attack people. Um, but also, you know, you can kind of play around do these supernatural Cool supernatural, yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, They can do spells, you know, they're kind of just like a box of surprises. And there wasn't, uh, I feel like there's just a lot more witch movies started coming out, but we thought that we were ahead of the <laughs> At the time, we were yeah. like, we're going to make a witch movie and a babysitter yeah. movie. I remember it was like the week we were shooting, or the week before, the witch came out, and we were like, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> and then well, luckily, that's a totally like, different style yeah. of witch movie, so it's not really competition. And then yeah. the babysitter came out. The babysitter. When we were editing. Yeah. And then when we actually released that movie, that's right, we better watch out. Better watch, yeah. Oh, man. Although you could get a hell of a double feature by doing Better Watch Out and then The Night Sitter back to back. Oh, absolutely. I mean, or I, you could I, watch The Night Sitter twice. <laughs> you could. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you said The That's Night Sitter second, feature. at least, just because, you know, I, I love, you know, I think that our movie would be great for uh, a second feature of any movie, just because <laughs> it's, it's just a little bit more fun. It's a midnight average. Yeah. I would say, yeah, Better Watch Out, like, that, that, like, makes me upset to watch. So I would need something to come down afterwards. I like that both of our movies, though, did have a lot of inspiration from Home Alone. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I just think I saw, so I love the, the feel that that movie had. And, I mean, the actors, you know, those were pretty damn good yeah. actors, so. Yeah, for sure. And the Home Alone elements of Better Watch Out are, like, very on point and very, like, clear, and they really work. Yeah. Our Home Alone stuff is a little more just, like, vibe of Kid at Christmas. Yeah, the beginning yeah. of, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Just kind of the setup. And the, like, sticky bandits level of intellect. Yes, exactly. There's a couple of nods. The cheese pizza. Yeah, for sure. Name's Kevin. Yeah, yeah oh, we, well, for sure. Yeah, we we, got, we love Home Alone. Yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? Yeah. I mean, that is pretty crazy to say that you don't like Home Alone. I, That's, it's, yeah, you, you can tell right away. Like, if I'm dating someone, I have to ask that about second date. Now I know if it's going to work out or not. <laughs> <laughs> Just disperse the name of john hughes in my house out uh very very single all the time uh, <laughs> so one thing i just wanted to point out that i thought was pretty clever is the way you trap the characters in the house and i'm always interested to see how filmmakers get around the idea of why don't they just leave uh something in city like insidious did a really clever move where it's not the house that's haunted it's the person so if you move the curse just goes with you in this movie, it's just, well, there's a curse. You're basically stuck inside the house. You can't get out, which gives them a, a fun kind of ticking clock to work against because they know the witching hour is coming. They've got to find a way out of this house. So it just makes them more active as characters. And it keeps you in that one location. So I'm sure that helped out quite a bit for filming. But I really enjoyed that angle. Well, damn, we appreciate that. That's good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was definitely... It uh, seems like a logical, practical way to keep them in the house. We just wanted to move past the like logic of everything and be like, all right, it's a horror movie. Yeah, let's get to the fun stuff, you know. Stop thinking around with people like going to open window. That that is a pet peeve of mine with audiences, because you'll have people asking questions like, why didn't they just call the police? Why didn't they unlock the door and go out there, the window, or whatever else? And It's no fun sitting around listening to all those what-ifs. You just want to enjoy the movie. And a situation like this basically cuts out 90% of those immediately, so you don't even have time to think about what it should have could have. Yeah, they can't leave the house until the doors just open on yeah, it's the ultimate out we have. <laughs> and by that same token, like, why didn't the witches just curse the doors so they couldn't leave, you know? Like, yeah, why didn't the witches immediately kill Whoa. everybody? Yeah. 
<laughs> Come on. You can do it. Don't ruin our movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's Those why are the I worst think... people to watch movies with when they're that serious about it. It's like, guys, come on. That's why Drag Me to Hell is a masterpiece. It has the greatest exchange in movie history. Why doesn't my cell phone work? Magic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah I do. Oh, yeah. Alyssa Loman tries to pick up her phone and like a goat demon pops out of it. <laughs> Magic solves all film problems. Sam Raimi is definitely one of the like biggest uh, influences on us, especially uh, for tone. Just yeah, like, for tone. For like the gore and the comedy. Evil Dead. Yeah, I mean, there's just so many of his types of movies. I mean, there's... Evil Dead Two is really like the, yeah. the premiere. But Dragon Ball oh, Three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did notice you guys had fake shumps in your credits. That was that was nice. Yeah, we had some yeah. fake shumps. And uh, maybe I'm imagining this, but I could have sworn at one point there's a part where one of the witches is attacking, and it sounds like her voice has the same modulation as the Deadites in Evil Dead 2. Am I am I making this up, just overlooking into the Easter eggs? I wish that we could... Yeah, I mean, maybe our sound designer wound <laughs> up using one of those, and you probably picked up on it, and he just didn't tell us. <laughs> or... or yeah. you're imagining it. <laughs> I'm gonna, it's more likely I was imagining it, but man, I was ready to give you bonus points there. Yeah. If it gets them into copyright trouble, you imagine it. <laughs> Or it's like, what is this? It's just a string of Easter eggs? The answer is yes. <laughs> you got a problem with that? I guess not. <laughs> but man, Sam Raimi is the master of the horror comedy, and it's a shame because a lot of films don't try for it. I can see why. It's tough. Like A lot of people come down and say, well, the film was too funny, so it wasn't scary, or they'll say it was too scary, so it wasn't funny. It's, it's you know threading the needle. But man, when it works, I love it. It sticks with me. I love that vibe, that mood. It's it's uh, definitely a sweet spot for me. Yeah, I mean, I think you gotta. It, it's a genre that you know we love it. It's like a very specific. It's an acquired taste, you might say. And I think you just got to try to please the diehard fans because you know it's it's never gonna be like The Conjuring or something where it has this like universal. You know, some people just don't like to laugh and watch people die at the same time. You know, it doesn't matter what the movie is; they just don't want to watch them. Uh, and you know. God bless them. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we just want to satisfy the people who, you know, love the genre and kind of uh, can appreciate the conventions when we use them and then can also appreciate when we sort of maybe subvert some conventions. Yeah, some, people, sure. some people lean more into the comedy and other, others lean more into the horror. Yeah. Get comments from both aisles. So yeah. when you're working on the edit, how, how do you try and balance that stuff? Do you ever have moments where like, okay, we made this scene maybe too funny? In- Maybe. I think we would have loved to have had that problem. <laughs> <laughs> Is it actually too funny? Yeah. <laughs> like, do we have to trim a line here or there just to kind of get to the blood and guts? Or is it? Is uh, no, it seems like it'd be a balancing act to me, but I don't know. I wasn't there. I, didn't, I don't think we did a lot of um, balancing as in like cutting comedy here to make room for more horror. I think that that was pretty well planned out in the script and in the story. Mm-hmm. I, it would mostly come from something like a line read. Or so like someone will del- yeah, or someone will deliver something in a funnier way. Martin was especially guilty of doing that constantly. Every every delivery he did was different. was different than equal, you know, pretty absurd. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he would just and, you know because that's what we Options. were telling him to do. You know, we, we would say, <laughs> okay, you know, you got to be you know, crazy, even more out of breath, or you know, just dial everything up, up, up. Um, only we would give him like a very good, reasonable direction, not something. And we wound up using probably at least a few of the craziest yeah. moves. Like, do, do it crazier. And he'd be yeah. like, what? Are you sure? Well, yeah. Like, I, I very much questioning a few times. He was able to bring off the goofy. He was able to, to uh, 
what, carry on. Not sorry. execute, but he was able to like be be convincingly goofy without us, you know, worrying about like does can you see through it? You know, like it, it felt like genuine. It felt natural for him, and it felt natural on the screen. So that's why we like stuck with those moments. You know, they didn't feel fake or 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 forced. And you know, it's funny. Benedict is the guy who is least like his character. Say, of everyone, oh, absolutely. Of everyone that we, yeah. I mean, everyone is a better person than their character is, obviously. But Benedict is like, he's just, he like, just is nothing like, like Martin at all. Doesn't dress like we made yeah. his hair look like it's just like completely <laughs> different. Well, I think that that gives him a lot of creative liberty too, because totally. now he's, he's just like blank slate. I can do, yeah. it can be anything. Yeah, he's very absolutely. Much yeah, yeah. We did a lot of. <laughs> sorry, we did a lot of replaying of Martin takes and scenes and just cracking up in the editor. Yeah. Well, yeah, absolutely. He's definitely one of the best characters that we, yeah. We had a lot of Martin moments. When he's chugging the whiskey and gasps or whatever, that was so good. Anytime we could give him physical comedy. So I feel like every monster movie, there's like one main trope associated with monster. If it's zombies, you got to have like a big old disemboweling. For witches, I, I think you guys should be like, what the example is, it should be a guy making out with a hot woman who turns into a corpse, a corpse mid-smooch. That should be the standard for every witch movie. Every scene should, every movie should have one of those, because that always gets me. Well, that was one of the things we also wanted to work with. Cause... Yeah, it gets us, too. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, it goes back to that great scene in The Shining, you know? Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, it's that, uh, uh, I mean, what's a nicer way to say we ripped that off? <laughs> homage yeah, oh that's right that's right it was a real <laughs> no but we uh yeah we kind of like to play with this idea of you know the witches kind of having this uh seductress edge both through the the pool scene and also then when amber and uh, Lindsay and rod are in bed um yeah it was fun to play with that we uh we do think more people should use it we think uh, they should give us credit instead of <laughs> well and the witches you know they like they like cater to each a lot of the characters weaknesses right so yeah. martin's weakness was he was so desperate for female affection or you know intimacy from he wasn't getting it from you know yeah. at least like he wanted to so this you know that's the weapon they chose to use against him <laughs> 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 but he's, he's <laughs> i just i just enjoy the uh the idea that uh the character of Lindsay once possessed Mostly is there just to fuck with these people. Like, I really enjoyed the teases with that character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we liked that a lot, too. Uh, we really loved the idea that she turns into a witch while they're having sex, and then she just, like, continues having sex with them, and then they get <laughs> and come downstairs, and, like, she's still pretending to not be evil. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's quite absurd. Yeah. Honestly, as soon as she popped in this context, she just became, like, someone else on set. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, Amber like, Newcomb is that actress yeah. who plays Lindsay. Uh, she is fantastic, really funny, really, like, went forth with the Definitely. And we always say this, but she moved to Atlanta after yeah movie. she she, she loved the southern film scene so much that she moved from la to Atlanta. she, she was the only actress we paid well, no, <laughs> <laughs> uh no we i think we paid for joe too yeah. he's from yeah. new york so there was only there was only a handful of uh actors that we could afford to fly everyone else would be <laughs> put yourself yeah sorry <laughs> see you there and she went hard in the paint in the the finger biting scene when she's 
Oh my god! Holding him up against the wall like that was yeah, it was great. Yeah, and you're only seeing what we chose for the movie. Like there's there's some takes of yeah, that, you know? yeah. there's some minutes of ch- yeah. chomping on some fingers. Uh, well, guy, I wanted to ask in your previous work, uh, you guys have shot a lot of uh, violence and a lot of gore effects, but never anything uh, quite that seems like quite as long or as involved as that bloodbath in the pool house where Lindsay finally gets taken out. What was it like filming that? Uh, that was extremely <laughs> hectic. We had one night to shoot that. Christian. Damn. Yeah. yeah. He, he helped we... set this up with us, but it was like a pretty much like we didn't really have more than a couple of takes for anything. I don't think it was, it was pretty, pretty difficult. A lot of action though. Yeah. Oh yeah. It, it was just a lot of, it moves really quickly. A lot of uh, choreography because we had our stunt, uh, yeah, we had trained yeah. in the choreography before we did. This. Yeah, we did a little rehearsal, but it was. Uh, it's all about pre-production, right? Now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but it was. I mean, obviously, it's a blast to shoot that, and you know, it's it's fun to uh, have there be like urgency. Like even a lot of the other gore effects in the Night Sitter, you know, there's uh, even if they're great effects, they might happen in a scene where you know a witch pops up and kills somebody, and it's just kind of that fast, that simple. So it's fun to do something where it just keeps going. And people keep getting hurt worse and worse. And it just, you know, uh, yeah, like just the pace kind of a little more unrelenting. Oh, and how good was the final blow? Yeah. Yeah. We won an award at some film festival for best kill. And when we got the award on it, it says knife through back of the <laughs> <laughs> So you never forget that. that I mean, that's easily one of my favorite shots. Yeah. That profile shot on the set. And it was probably one of the cheapest, because all she did was just bite into the end a of a plastic yeah. knife. Yeah. <laughs> we cut off. That's That's yeah. the whole that was the effect. Yeah. Put some blood in, the, in your mouth. And yeah. It was, uh... Jamie, apparently we're basic bitches, because like, the, the scalping was my favorite. You really enjoyed that one, and apparently we picked the cheapest ones. <laughs> I, I think any sequence where you can work in a knife kill... And violent uh, gym equipment, like you, you deserve all the awards for that. Yeah, that was always something we wanted to uh, to do was death by gym equipment. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Anybody who's been to a gym thinks about hitting someone in the face. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, oh, it's, so, it's a great scene in that one uh, Final Destination movie. That guy oh, yeah. uh, gets killed in the gym. Or uh, if you've seen Starry Eyes, yeah. there's this moment. Oh yeah. Uh, the actress just like annihilates one of the characters who's sleeping in bed with like a dumbbell. It's probably one of the scariest like moments in the movie, just because it's blunt force trauma is just yeah. so great. In yeah. Movies. So we definitely wanted to do that, and uh, yeah, it was it's just perfect. Uh, yeah, it, it kind of just like worked out perfectly with our location because we were like, well, we have a gym already, so <laughs> all we have to do is find like a fake prop that you know. Deaths with weapons that aren't naturally weapons, objects that aren't actually weapons, are also a fun thing that I enjoy. Yeah. You know, like a knife, okay, a gun, okay, a machete or chainsaw, okay, but like a toaster or like... <laughs> now we're talking. You know, like yeah. that's... Be a little creative, you know? Yeah, totally. Because then it's like, oh man, anybody can take that toaster and kill me like they do now. Now you're afraid of toasters. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's 90% of the fun of the Final Destination movies. Like, great, now I'm afraid of trucks for the rest of my life because a log might kill me. Exactly. Yeah, I appreciate any movie that makes me uh, see my house like I'm a, a daredevil villain. Like, oh, that stapler could be used to kill me. Yeah. Oh, it's all very dangerous if you think about it too hard. 
I'm just going to wrap myself in one of the, like, the Zorb bubbles. One, it's probably great for COVID. And two, <laughs> I don't like physical contact anyway. So this is perfect all around. We were, we were joking about this earlier, but you were stuck in that one location. Everyone's sleeping there, working there. Just imagine if you've been doing this during like the age of COVID just first being announced and you just locked down in that spot. I feel like that's its own horror movie. Oh, that actually would be like, that was, it was honestly, at least I think for m- most of the people that were there, it was like probably the most fun we've ever had. Yeah. It was nonstop partying. Yeah, I was going to say, we were <laughs> talking about the location, about how it was basically, you know, a version of quarantine. I, I didn't get to, I wasn't able to be there, but the stories I heard from set were all just getting better by the end, you know, like <laughs> camaraderie and the, the, yeah. the relationships you build when you're working so hard with people so close to you. And then, <laughs> then you have to kind of relax with them at the end of the day. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. pretty crazy. Cause like, we don't really even like, we haven't seen a lot of those people since our reshoot, honestly. Like, I well, mean, a we, lot we've of them are local yeah. to the South. Also. Yeah, that's yeah. true. But uh, it is just pretty it's pretty crazy because they were like, you know, family members. Like we were like literally yeah, with like, them for like 18 hours a day or more. Yeah. Um, and, and even like, yeah, pretty much more. Like we would literally just sleep even in the same areas. Cause there's yeah. people sleeping, uh, you know, people sleeping. Everywhere. Yeah. Christian helped set us up. It was nice. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, if we're, we didn't shoot it's with sleeping area basically. Yeah. No yeah. star wagons. On yeah. We'd be every time we had to switch to a different room. Christian and like several other people had to like yeah figure out how we were going to move Get everything. Shit out of yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. It was just like, pretty much musical chairs. Oh, we're in tent- <laughs> um, it's like all right, you know, it's like, it's <laughs> yeah. It's it's something that definitely does come through on the screen. Like the the takeaway you really get whenever you first watch this movie is. Uh, they wanted to make sure the audience had as much fun making it, uh, as much fun watching it as they did making it. It just feels like a movie where everybody wants to be there and wants the movie to be awesome. And you, you can always tell. We Maybe we're biased, but yeah, we definitely felt that way too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it was, There's yeah. definitely a elevated level of energy that gives you that sense. Even now when I'm just thinking about, yeah. back on some scenes, uh, I totally know. Yeah, I think even some movies that have bigger budgets and, uh, uh, you know, higher production value like even more gore effects whatever you know sometimes even though those movies might be technically impressive you just don't get that kind of like liveliness from scene to scene and between the characters and i do think that the night sitter has that i think it really goes by like very quickly uh, even right. at like 90 minutes almost uh just kind of like zips right away. yeah for sure yeah and i do think that's because everyone is kind of like having you know, every actor is like wanting to be the star of the movie every scene yeah. has to be the best scene it's a lot of fun. I mean, if anyone has as much fun watching this as we had making it, I, mean, I don't know. They'd probably uh, come next. To see <laughs> That's yeah, a, no, a special no, feature on the DVD. You open it up and some gummies yeah, fall yeah. out. It's great. I would be, you know, I would be thrilled to have a fan that they were just like, oh my God, this movie is a church. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we're getting close to wrapping things up here. Before we do, uh what's next for you guys what are you all working on different projects is there another group one in the works here i mean there's always a group one in the works uh you know unfortunately we've pretty much taken the year 2020 off of uh pre-production and planning stuff um which is you know unfortunate but probably um yeah i can't imagine trying to get a project off the ground or filming something in this environment yeah it's tough i mean especially independently yeah i mean filming would be a ways off but yeah it's kind of uh we're just kind of on the hunt for the next thing right now and 
trying to just figure out kind of what the next idea that speaks to us in a way where we want to spend, you know, all our time and all our money and all that. Yeah. I, I just want to pitch the idea of there being a night sitter too that's pretty much just return to Salem's lot, but with witches instead of vampires. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, if yeah, if someone can get that money for we were us. Doing the hard thing. Yeah, we, we always on set we pitched the night sitter to martin's revenge <laughs> <laughs> a return to night sitter's lot yeah and then it is exactly night uh salem's lot too but which is <laughs> yeah, you could return to the two characters that are still alive at the end of the movie <laughs> that would be like taller than Elise. <laughs> yeah. the ring too except you know <laughs> not with naomi watts yeah. and you'd have to pay that kid uh, avengers endgame money though now yeah, seriously. Yeah, probably, you know, we'd have trouble getting him. He'd be like, "Oh, you should actually just call my agent." <laughs> yeah, it was way easier when it was just dealing with his mom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not gonna call your agent. Yeah, he blew up. We're uh, probably not gonna be able to work with that guy anymore. But you know, that's alright because he'll yeah. always be Kevin. Maybe yeah. we'll maybe we'll shut up. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, get a raspberry. Yeah. Well, uh, I think that's going to wrap things up for tonight. Thank you guys so much for joining us. This was amazing. Love picking your brain. Uh, folks at home, if you haven't stopped us to go watch the Night Sitter, I, I, I don't know what the fuck you're doing. Go do that. Uh, you can find more of these guys on the rollerdiscomassacre.com. I hope that's actually a .com, not an org. Oh, it's a .com. <laughs> that's a .com. Nailed it. Oh, someone did his homework, kind of. Oh, well, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, we really appreciate it, guys. Thanks for taking the time to talk about Christmas horror movies. And we're really glad you liked it, obviously. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was a blast. Thank you so much. Uh, folks, this has been Box Office Pulp. You can find more of us, if you want, at boxofficepulp.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Or not. Our schedule's pretty variable. But anyways, we'll be around. And like that, he's gone. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show. <laughs>